after the service. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. Isn't it good to have Pastor back? <laughs> Pastor Brent, we missed you. He's been over in Israel, in case you didn't know it. He's got the Holy Land all over him. <laughs> My name is Steve Rogers. I go to Ashworth Church, member here for about, well, going on three years. And uh, they uh, drafted me to be a part of the sermon team. And so they gave me this assignment today. Here we go. <laughs> In Matthew 16, <clears throat> Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The scriptures tell us that he had set his face to go to Jerusalem. Kind of he had intention about him. He was on a mission. And we read that he, in, as they were on the way, he stopped and he gathered his disciples around him and he, and he said, had a conversation with him. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? What do you say? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why did he ask them that question? They've been with him for three years almost, and he just stops and interrupts what they're doing and he says hey who do you guys say I am you think he had something on his mind I do I think Jesus was in his mind viewing ahead how this was going to go he'd already told him that he was going to be crucified I'm not sure they fully understood what he said, but if you're going to, he, he went on to say, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross too to follow me. But he said, I want to hear what you know about me, what you think about me. It, it's critical that I hear this. And Peter said, yeah, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, boy, you didn't get there on your own. The Holy Spirit brought you. To that place. He had something on his mind. And how we respond to that question today has everything to do with our topic today, which is where the church fits in the big story. The church fits in the big story 
that we've been dealing with in this series we've been in. Now, I have to make a confession to you this morning. I've had a lifetime of experience in church. My parents were pastors. Just days after I was born, I was swaddled and in church. I've had some of the best experiences of my life in church. I've had tremendous senses of God's presence. I've had loving relationships. I got married in church. I've been touched by God in church. I've seen people healed, gathered together in church. Tremendous things. I've learned things from the word of God in church. I love church. I haven't always loved church, though. I was a rebellious teenager. I got really messed up going that route. I've talked about it before. And I ended up being a pastor myself. 30 plus years. Sally and I served as pastors in church. I've had wonderful experiences church in, in church and I've had <coughs> awful experiences in church. I've had some of the most disappointing, painful, and disillusioning experiences I've ever had in relationship to church. I've seen churches split. I've seen boards argue almost to the point of coming to fisticuffs. I've seen gossip tear people apart. And I have to say that I've given people as a leader some really bad experiences in church. I've, I've been guilty of messing up leadership in church. And about 15, 16 years ago, I'd had enough. And I said, I've got to get out of this professional clergy grind that I'm in. And I've got to figure out where I fit in the church and what is the difference between doing church and being church. And I took a sabbatical. I thought it was going to be just a few months. It ended up being about uh, hmm, 14 years or so. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I even wrote a book. 15 years ago. You'll never guess what the title was. It was Quit Going to Church. <laughs> it's not in print anymore. <laughs> and I don't recommend it. <laughs> but I feel kind of like Paul did when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. I, uh, I know about church. I've experienced church. I've studied church. I've trained in church. I've preached about church. But I'm a broken vessel. I'm damaged goods. When I talk about church, I talk about it like we all talk about it because many of us here today have had bad experiences in church. Many of us here today are wrestling with our stuff, 
relating to church. And I was discussing this with the sermon team the other day, and Pastor Amy said, yeah, don't forget. Don't forget that there's people going to be hearing this Sunday that are broken and questioning their place in church. And maybe together as we open our hearts to one another, maybe we can find some way to get the good stuff out of being a part of the church, out of being the people who say, yes, the Spirit has shown me that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yes, that matters in my life today. And yes, that connects me with other people around the world. That makes me have a relationship to the church. And if I'm in this church, Let's get some good out of it. Let's make it happen. Well, we know that there's a lot of metaphors about church in the Bible. It, the Bible talks about the church as being an assembly of God's people. The scriptures tell us that the first Christians after the resurrection, after Jesus ascended, after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, that they met together in the temple courts and from house to house, breaking their bread together with gladness and sincerity of hearts. The church is an assembly of God's people. The Bible talks about the church as being a holy city, a new Jerusalem. I was kidding Pastor Brent online when he talked about coming into the city on his trip and uh, I remembered when I was on a bus, I've, I've been over there three times, four times um, on tours in Israel, and, and I remember the first time when we were coming down into the city of Jerusalem, somebody started singing, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your voice and sing, and oh boy, the mood lifted in the bus, and I thought we were going to get raptured right then and there. Well, Jesus, the scripture says that it's, the church is a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from the Father into the earth. The scriptures talk about the church as being the uh, um, body of Christ. And I've got to read this. I don't think we have, a, I don't know if we have a slide for it. Liz does a good job with the slides, but sometimes I throw at curveballs. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, 
not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is his body filled with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now that is a picture. That is a picture. The Bible talks about the church being a temple made up of living stones and a bride in preparation for a wedding, a beloved wife. I, I just always get a kick out of the fact that when the Lord wanted us to have a picture of his ideal church, it was a woman. Just throw that out there for whatever it's worth. <laughs> the bride of Christ. Oh, the church is talked about as a vineyard. The church is talked about as a flock of sheep. And the church is talked about a spiritual, as a spiritual army. It says we don't wage war as the world wages war. We, we, we fight a spiritual battle. And we don't use earthly weapons, carnal weapons, fleshly weapons. We use spiritual weapons that are effective and powerful to bringing down strongholds, to destroying the works of the enemy, to bring down wickedness in high places. All of this is described as what the church does, as the church, the body of Christ, filled with the fullness of Jesus, living stones, you might think of us as little Jesuses walking around wherever we go, the church. Jesus made it pretty clear to his disciples the way he taught them that there was going to be a new way of thinking about how God works on the earth. Up until this point, we had seen God's presence through the covenant relationship with Israel we had seen him basically confining the purity of his presence in a specific holy place. First, it was the tabernacle in, as they went around in Israel, which was pretty elegant in its own way, but it was portable, and it only went where the Spirit led them to go. And then it disappeared. And then finally, centuries later, God said, okay, Solomon, you can build a temple for me if you want. And God came and manifested his presence there in that temple, but he confined his presence in the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil of the temple. And all of the sacrifices and worship were focused there. That temple got destroyed. Then Nehemiah and his group crew came and they restructured and re recomposed that temple using some of the debris from Solomon's temple. And that one got destroyed by the Babylonians. And then Herod came along and he rebuilt the temple. And Jesus walked into the city of Jerusalem and the first thing he did when he walked in there is he saw what was going on there and he 
fashioned a whip and went in and chased out all of the money changers and all of the uh, booths and merchants and everything that was going on there. And he said something. I don't know if everybody got it, but he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All the people. And that kind of shook things up. And the establishment really didn't like it. And they plotted to kill him over that. Well, then what happened? They were walking away from the temple one day after, and this is just days before his crucifixion. And the disciples said, oh, Jesus, look at this temple. It was magnificent. And it was standing up there on Mount Zion, glimmering white stones, golden, embossed. And isn't that something, Jesus, that temple of ours? We're so proud of our temple. And Jesus said, yeah. <laughs> well, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. What? <laughs> no, he said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And they were floored by that, and they didn't fully get it. He said, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff go down. This temple's coming down. And there's going to be a lot of stuff happening in the world. But what he was saying was, as they came to understand, is that God's in the process of building a new temple. And that new temple is his church, made up of living stones, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Amy taught us last week in the big story, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Paul went to Athens and he saw all of those temples and idols in Athens and he made this statement. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. He doesn't live in buildings. Where does he live? He, made, he, made, he lives in living temple, in living stones and living temples made by God's hands. Yes. Peter wrote in second in First Peter chapter two. He says in verse one, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being built into a holy temple. Now, there are some, and I guarantee you, Pastor Brent heard about this when he was in Israel, 
there are some who believe that there's going to be another actual temple built in Jerusalem. Well, there may be, but the temple that Jesus is going to be in is you, the church, the living temple of the Holy Spirit. So what are we talking about when we talk about the church? What is the church? The best one-sentence definition I've ever heard is the church is people equipped to serve, meeting needs everywhere in Jesus' name. Let's sit on that for a moment. The church is people equipped to serve, meeting needs everywhere in Jesus' name. So Jesus said, now that temple over there, that one's going to come down. But then he showed up with them in... Uh, it, right after, after he rose from the dead, he showed up and he said something to them that's just amazing. I'm going to find it here. I lost my place. Acts chapter 1, you can read about it. Maybe I thought, oh, there it is. Acts chapter 1. He says, verse, uh, where are we? Oh, verse 4, Acts 1, 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Matthew, the book of Matthew, ends with what we call the Great Commission where Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me, on you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. So what was he envisioning? That temple's coming down, but a new temple's coming up, and this new temple is going to be people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're going to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. And you, he said, are going to be my witnesses everywhere you go. Starting here in Jerusalem, you're going to spread out, out into Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what happened? When Jesus rose from the dead, I have to stand up on this. When Jesus rose from the dead, <laughs> oh, here we go. Come with me, please. <laughs> Heal. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn apart. The, the Holy Spirit was no longer isolated in that one place. Now, God is a big God. God created all things. In him we live and move and have our being. God's always been everywhere at all times. But his focused place of ministry and worship was zeroed in on one locale. 
But after the resurrection, when he burst forth from the bonds of death, and when he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then when he said, wait till you get it, now it's coming, and he said, then you're going to go and be witnesses to all the earth. Jesus saw that the destruction of that temple was going to be the precursor to an explosion of life and power and giftedness and change on planet earth. The church is going to go forth equipped. Equipped. Now how do we get equipped? Well, we get gifts, the Bible says. Gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about spiritual gifts, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay. We're not supposed to be ignorant about gifts. <laughs> okay. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You remember when he said to the guys, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You didn't say that by yourself. The Spirit gave that to you. And any one of us, at any point in time, when it dawns on us, the light comes on, the Spirit reveals, Jesus is Lord. Is he, what were we just saying? Is he, what's the phrase? He is. He is. We know that because the Spirit has given it to us. It's alive within us. We just know it's true. I remember the day sitting cross-legged on the floor, totally messed up, and the light came on in me. If this is you, Jesus, I want it. And my life was changed. Gifts he's given us. What kind of gifts? Well, he goes on and says there's different kind of gifts. The same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all of men all people, humanity. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Spirit is given for the common good. What is this temple here to do? Is this temple here to park our seats in our seats every Sunday for an hour? And then go to our Sunday dinner and go and watch professional football and put it out of our mind until next Sunday? Is that what we're here to do? No, we're not here to do that. We're here to take the equipping that the Holy Spirit has given us, imparted in us. We don't even sometimes realize what he's done in us. Some of, some of you know that I write a little devotional that I throw out on Facebook. Not every day, but most days. And I wrote this the other day, and I, I hadn't planned to share this, but I thought, hey, there's something here that I want to visit. Have you ever had someone surprise you by complimenting you for something you had no idea you had done that had been a significant blessing to them? You didn't know you'd done anything special. You were just doing your thing. 
while you were just being yourself in an unguarded moment, they'd been watching and listening to you and had drawn encouragement from your words and demeanor. When that happened, did you say to yourself, well, you should think that way because I'm so cool and special. Thanks for stroking my ego. No. You probably realized that God used you in some way you hadn't realized before. Paul explained it this way to the Philippians about himself. He said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Now, what's he talking about? He says, I know my life makes a difference for you. Why does it make a difference for you? Because Christ is in me. I'm equipped. To Paul, it was abundantly clear that the spirit of Christ in him is what produced the compliments. He had come to understand that when he mingled among people, he brought Christ with him because Christ was in him. And not only was he not surprised when people evidenced progress and joy in the faith, as he put it, he expected that his being with others would result in their boasting in Christ too. I mentioned the other day how everyone lives for a reason and has opportunity to contribute to the common good through the many ways Holy Spirit gives us. From Paul's example, we learn that we can be aware of the impact Christ in us has on others. Paul had it figured out that as long as he was alive, he brought Jesus into the room wherever he went and with whomever he interacted. Sure, his personal preference would have been to just leave his body and go straight to Jesus. We all feel like that once in a while, don't we? Get me out of here. <laughs> but he said, no, no, as long as I'm here, I'm bringing Christ to others. I make a difference. And so does anyone who welcomes the gift imparting, animating presence of Christ into their life. And when those compliments come, we do so proud. We do so well to be proud of him. We're proud of him because he's doing stuff in us. We don't even realize it sometimes and he's doing stuff. We are equipped to serve. Let me give you a story. How much time do I have? I better hurry. <laughs> I got a call one day out in Hardin, Montana. I was pastor out there. Businessman in our church called, and he said, I got a guy here. It was February. And he said he, he, he's walked into town overnight. He's cold. He's hungry. He's trying to get back somewhere east. Uh, he's been hitchhiking, and he got abandoned out on the highway between Hardin and Billings. 
Well, if you've ever been out on I-90 between Hardin and Billings, there's nothing out there but sagebrush and wheat fields and rocks and deer and antelope <laughs> and coyotes. Middle of the winter in Montana. It was cold, below zero that night. He, he was in desperate shape. And Ray called me and he said, we got to help him. I, he said, I can't just send him on his way here. We've got to do something. Can we do something, Pastor? And I, I just was a few blocks down the street. And I said, well, let me, I'll come up and get him. So I went up and got him. And I brought him home. Or brought him to my office, actually. And we introduced, his name was Melvin. And I said, Melvin, what's going on? And he told me the saddest story. At age 17, he had stolen a bicycle. And the criminal justice system at that time thought it was necessary to take a 17-year-old boy and put him in the state penitentiary for 17 years for stealing a bicycle. He was a defeated and broken man, as you can imagine. He'd been up in Montana looking for work. And he hadn't been successful. And he was trying to get back south to get warm. He had no money. We had a spare bedroom in our house. And I called Sally. I said, told her the story. And I said, I can't, I can't send him out on the street like this. It was getting evening time, getting late in the day. Uh, can he stay with us tonight? We had a little kid. Kind of a risky deal, but I just felt like we needed to help him. And so we, we had a spare bedroom. We invited him in to our spare bedroom downstairs. And, uh, but that night, what, this is what reminded me of this. I knew Pastor Brent had just come back from Israel, and I remembered when I was taking a group of people to Israel, and there was about 15 of us gathered together that night to all get final instructions for tomorrow when we get on the plane, fly to New York, New York to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Athens, Athens to Tel Aviv. And, you know, these people, town of 2,700 people in the middle of Montana. They were excited as you could be. Well, I was too. We were flying high as we got together. But we thought, it's not right for us to be up here doing this while and leave Melvin downstairs. There were no TV or anything down there. So we decided we were going to have him join us. And we put a chair out. We had it set around in a circle. And everybody was talking and laughing and telling jokes. And you know how when people get really stoked about something and they're just running on adrenaline. It was a happy, joyous occasion. And we passed around the treats. And Melvin, he just sat in there and he just soaked it up. And he just loved it. I had a chance to pray with him, tell him God loved him. And uh, the next day I had breakfast with him, and he wanted to get on down the road. Gave him a little money, and he went on his way. Two years later, one of the ladies in the church came up to me and said, Pastor, I was on a bus. She was going up somewhere to see family or something. And she took the bus, and I sat next to a guy, and we got to talking, and he found out I was from Hardin, and he said, uh, do you know Pastor Steve Rogers? And she said, yeah, he's my pastor. He said, would you give him this note? 
and she brought back a note. I've got it at home somewhere, but I couldn't find it. I wanted to read it directly to you. But the note said, Hi, Pastor Steve. This is Melvin. I gave me his last name. I know what it is. He said, This is Melvin. And he said, I want you to know I'm doing well. I, I just sure appreciate you leading me to the Lord. He said, I'm down, I've got work, and I'm down in Oklahoma, and I'm leading a men's Bible study. Now, that's how the church works. Do you see what happened there? You saw a gift of compassion in the board member. You saw a teacher, a pastor, able to share the word. You saw a group of people opening their hearts in compassion and empathy and inclusion. And you saw the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in a man's life. And if you think about every single one of you carrying the Holy Spirit within you, going about being who you are as God has gifted you and equipped you to be, you are touching people's lives. You don't even realize it sometimes. You know that 10 minutes before Jesus was born, there wasn't a single Christian on planet Earth. You know how many people profess the name of Jesus today? In excess of 3 billion people on planet Earth. And the church is growing. The word is spreading. People equipped to serve, meeting needs everywhere in Jesus' name. This church, I'm so proud of this church. This church, what if we do? I was just talking with Carrie this morning. 80-some kids in our child care center. What? 80-some kids. And they've got 117 on a waiting list. Why? Because pastor and the te leadership team here had a vision to want to impact and meet needs in this city. Remember meeting needs everywhere? Meeting needs. What's the big need in West Des Moines? This economy says that you can't exist in a, very well without a two-person two income in a family, especially if you've got a number of kids. You just can't. Amen. So there's a need. They called the city of West Des Moines. They said, what can we do? For, what can Ashworth do to help the city of West Des Moines where we live? And they said, we need, oh, we need child care. So we stepped up and, and look what we're doing. We've got a child care ministry. What else has this church done? We've helped refugees. We have, we have people here that are ministering to Afghan refugees and other refugees. We, we've sent mission teams all over the place. You are giving hospitality to people. You are encouraging people. You are comforting people. You are shining the light of Jesus wherever you go. You are the church. Equipped by the Holy Spirit placed to serve wherever you go and you're changing the world. Don't let 
MSNBC or Fox News or anybody else tell you what's going on in the world. They don't know. We know. We know. The church is going forward. Jesus said, I will build my church on the confession that you understand I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is he? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's coming again. That holy city, the church finished up and ready to go, is coming down. Let's pray.